Hi, this is Danielle, author of Tales of a Disneyland Cast Member and former Disneyland Resort Cast Member, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode 6 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. This week, we continue our conversation with Ron Schneider. To refresh your memory from last week, we ended part one of the interview with Ron talking about how interactions with characters like Dreamfinder and Merida, and potentially all the others, can be about so much more than walk up, turn around, get a picture, walk away. But we know that the system isn't always designed for that anymore, and the characters themselves often aren't used to it. So I asked what we can do to help create the magic and initiate some of those interactions that can be so much more than that take a picture with the monkey, as Ron says. We start part two with Ron answering that question, and then we go on to talk about what the most commonly spoken phrase is at any Disney theme park. You might be surprised. A fun and favorite story of his when he made magic for a guest at Walt Disney World, and another from the Titanic experience. What he thinks about the calls to bring back Journey into imagination. Themed entertainment as an art form, and the future of it. Of course, his new book, From Dreamer to Dreamfinder, A Life and Lessons Learned in 40 Years Behind a Name Tag. What inspires him, his advice to you, and more. If you missed part one, I encourage you to go back and listen to that first. There was so much more to it than just this question and answer that we start from, and I truly think it was really interesting and fun. So if you missed last week, go back and listen to it, then come listen to this one. And while you're at it, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss another episode. We've had some good ones, and we've got some more good ones coming. After the interview, I have a story to share with you about a terrifically fun interaction I had with some characters at Disneyland last weekend, and then a special announcement. If you enjoy the interview with Ron Schneider, want to read his book, or are just interested in themed entertainment like the Disney parks or themed dinner experiences, you're not going to want to miss this announcement. You have an opportunity to win an autographed copy of Ron's book, but you'll have to listen to the end to find out how. Once you hear him talk about it, you're going to want a copy of this book. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Hi, this is Rick Moyer. And this is Amy Moyer. And we are the hosts of Take Him With You. The weekly podcast where we discuss life at the geeky Moyer's home. And then we talk about our faith and how it relates to the world around us. Very, very positive podcast. And we think you really enjoy it. And I love Star Trek and heavy metal music. And I like Star Trek. Kind and of. heavy metal music. And I hate heavy metal music. <laughs> Want to hear more of our banter? You can by listening to our podcast. Where can they find it? You can find it at TakeHimWithYou.com or iTunes. That's right, iTunes. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. The way things are structured now, like you were saying, it's not really designed to create that on a consistent basis. But for the guests who are aware that it's at least possible, is there anything that we can do as we go up to to meet a character that can help facilitate and create that as we initiate it so that they can then respond and build that anyway? It's a wonderful question. And the uh, and I'll give you my answer thusly. I'm going to tell you about my favorite visit to Disneyland uh, was the day that I took my six-year-old daughter uh, to the park. Um, she'd been there dozens of times uh, when she was very young. I was working at the Golden Horseshoe Review, but families being what they were, there was a couple of years there where um, I didn't get to take her. And it wasn't until she was six, which is the perfect age, because they're young enough to believe but old enough to understand. 
And we uh, had two full days, just me and her at Disneyland, and she had no memory of the place, no prior experience. It was all new and fresh and wonderful to her. And, uh, in fact, we were driving on our way to Disneyland, and she saw this uh, water slide by the side of the freeway. She said, oh, Daddy, can we go on that? I said, no, no, you don't understand. Disneyland's better than that. Trust me. So we, we got to Disneyland. We did two full days. And the first day, I just did uh, Fantasyland and Tomorrowland. And the second day, we went straight to Tom Sawyer's Island and blew our mind. <laughs> but um, to give you an example, when we, we walked into the park the first time, we went straight to Fantasyland, and we went right over to Peter Pan's Adventure, which was my favorite attraction when I was a child. And we got to the front of the line. She sees the pirate ships going by, and she goes, oh, Daddy, what happens in here? And thinking fast, I said... I have no idea. And that set us up for a weekend of incredible adventures because I never told her anything about what was coming. It was all a discovery for her, an adventure for her. And she got to experience it all with complete innocence and wonder. And she walked out of every ride going, oh, let's do that again. (laughs) So one of the things we can do is the way that we present these things to our children from the beginning. And, you know, children, uh, too often we drag them to the park when they're too young, and we take them on the rides over and over and over so that that Dumbo is never a flying elephant. He'll always just be a ride vehicle. And Space Mountain will never be a a trip into outer space. It'll always be a roller coaster. But for her, it was all an incredible experience. Uh, My favorite story is uh, the one we went on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. We got up to the front of the line, and she sees the cars. And she goes, oh, Daddy, can I drive? And I said, I don't know. You're you're, you're very young. You've never driven before. She said, oh, please. I said, all right, I'll tell you what. You can drive on two conditions. Okay, all right. I said, you can drive, but you have to go exactly where I tell you to go. She says, I will. I said, and don't get us hit by a train. She said, I won't. I said, because if you get us hit by a train, we're going to die and we're going to go to hell. She says, I won't, Daddy. I promise. I said, all right. So we get in the car. and She gets behind the wheel, and it looks like you should turn left and pull out of the building. So I said, turn left. And she turned the wheel left, and the car went right and crashed through the wall. And I said, what are you doing? Look out for the fireplace. And she drives right through the fireplace. Now I grab the wheel, and through the whole ride, I'm in her ears. Look out for the, don't hit the guy with the, oh, my God, what are you nuts? And she's laughing and laughing and laughing. So finally, at the end, of course, we get hit by the train, and we're driving through hell. And I'm saying to her, now, didn't I tell you not to get us hit by a train? And she's screaming, laughing, and it took her like five minutes after we got off the ride to calm down. And... It was the most wonderful weekend. The <laughs> whole thing was just one amazing adventure after another, and it was always it was all it was all fresh and new to her. Um, she only got nervous once. We were standing in line for Star Tours, and that was it. That's all we needed to worry about. She went on everything. She was wonderful. It, it draw them into the story. You know, we all do this instinctively. What is the most? Here's a, Trivia question for you, Randy. What is the most frequently spoken phrase at any Disney theme park? What is the one thing that everybody says? Uh, what time's the three o'clock parade? <laughs> Very close. Okay. It's the, the one thing that every adult says at the beginning of every ride. If there's a child sitting next to him, they always say, here we go. We even have Peter Pan say it at the beginning of every flight. Here we go. And that's the parent instinctively playing storyteller, instinctively being a guide. And if you build on that, make it about the child's experience. If you're taking a child to Disneyland, make it about the child's experience. You're going to have so much more fun that way. Taking them on what they want to go on and not what they don't want to go on. Don't try to talk them into going out of the Matterhorn if they're scared of going on the Matterhorn. Take them on Dumbo. Take them on Small World, and you'll have a much, much better time. You may hate Small World, but boy, the child will be so happy and will love you for it. And you'll make a memory that will last forever. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I've heard adults say that same thing to each other at the start of a ride. Mm-hmm. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, everybody yeah. says it. It's, yeah. It's just it's part of beginning uh-huh. the story. Uh-huh. You know, I think it's sort of the uh, participating in attraction equivalent of saying once, once upon, upon a time. time. Yeah. Um, you know, we can we can preserve the fantasy. 
we can, um, with what we say, what we do, don't try to drain on the old things. Don't drag a child on the Tower of Terror if they don't want to go on the Tower of Terror. Even if you think that you know, it makes them a wimp. The key is that when you go to the parks, make it about other people. Don't make it about yourself. You know, make it about, the, especially if you're taking small children, you've got to make it about the child and showing the child a good time. Too many parents have a, have a miserable time at the parks because the children don't behave the way the parents expect them to. But if you take a child to the park and you cater to them and look out for them, take them on what way they want to go on, and you know, if you, you, know, if you don't get to go on Tower of Terror, it'll be there the next time. The best way to uh, – just like one of the rules we learn early on is the best way to entertain an adult is to amuse a child. And uh, that goes for the adults as well. Is If you show the child a good time, you'll have a good time too. That's great advice. That's really good advice. Thank you. My pleasure. Now, on the subject of stories and, you know, you were going through and creating this adventure with your daughter. Uh, during all the things that you've done, whether as Dreamfinder or the, the Golden Horseshoe shows or anything that you've done at the parks, do you have any favorite stories of something that made magic for a guest or some way that maybe a guest made magic for you? Something fun, heartwarming? Maybe Bo. You know, I, I listened to your other shows, and so I knew this question was coming. And it's a tough one for me to answer because most of my jobs, I was the magic moment. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, every person I met, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was bussing tables and then did something, something incredible happen. Something incredible happened for me 30 minutes on, 30 minutes off, all day long. <laughs> and um, so there, you know, Suddenly, somebody shows up, and they've got two twin little girls in figment pajamas. Um, just this would be amazing, you know, for me. Um, I was walking down Hollywood Boulevard one time. I was on vacation from doing Dreamfinder, and I'm walking down Hollywood Boulevard all by myself. And I come up to this intersection, and there's a mob of people waiting for the lights to change. And I look up, and the guy in front of me, this tall guy standing in front of me, is wearing a figment hat backwards. So figment is looking at me. <laughs> And I looked up and I said, can't you leave me alone? The guy turned around. I said, never mind. It's okay. <laughs> um, well, the classic story for me is I'm walking off set one day. I finished my 30 minutes on. And it was time for my 30 minutes off. And uh, I'm doing what I used to call the flying wedge. That's where you walk through the crowd and you don't meet anybody's eyes because you got to get to that backstage door. And you don't want to get swamped because you'll never get your break. And so I'm just outside of my dressing room up in the image works and I break through this crowd and there is this adorable little boy, maybe about six years old, standing there by himself. And he looks up at me, his eyes as big as saucers. I look around, there's no other kids around, so I know I can talk to him for a moment and I won't get swamped. So I sit down and kneel down next to him and I introduce him to my arm and um, (laughs) we talk for a while. (laughs) And uh, finally, I stand up. And I say, well, I got to go now. Goodbye. He looks up at me with tears in his eyes and says, goodbye, Jesus. Oh, bye-bye, Jesus. And he's waving goodbye. And I, I couldn't move. I mean, I was just absolutely flabbergasted. And the crowd around me is laughing hysterically. And he was just, he was just <laughs> completely dumbstruck. I just imagine the kid when I got home. Yeah, I met him. He has he has two heads, and he called me by my name. Um, so that that's always been for me the the classic moment. But um, all the kids from Give Kids the World were, were amazing. The celebrities uh, that I got to meet. Um, I was up in the dressing room one day, and they get a call. Michael Jackson's downstairs and wants to meet the Dream Finder. And uh, so I go down to the garden area, and they got the whole garden area roped off, and there's Michael Jackson all by himself, and walked over and, and got to meet him, and he was completely charmed by uh, Figment, and uh, we had a wonderful conversation. Uh, got to meet Red Skelton and Mark Wilson, the magician, and uh, Ray Bradbury, which was kind of funny because I grew up around the corner from where, Bra- where Ray Bradbury lives in Beverly Hills, but I never got to meet him until I was doing Dreamfinder. Um <laughs> So uh, those are, those are all magic moments. Um, when I was doing Titanic, I would take people through you know this wonderful museum, this recreation of the ship, and uh, all the time we would get people come through who were descendants of people who were on board the ship, 
and this uh, woman came in one day and it turned out she, that she was the great grandniece of the character that I played on the tour. Oh, and, wow. and taking her through the story was a special thrill for me. Um, and I was very emotional and for her as well. Um, this, you know, the whole theme park genre, you, you can touch people in a way that you can't with any other form of theater film because it's all about them. You know, the Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message. Well, Disney said the audience is the medium. What we do is about their experience. And so uh, it's all about uh, that magic all the time in, to one extent or another. And I've been very lucky because uh, quite often I've been, uh, been lucky enough to be a highlight of those experiences for people. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to pick up the story. Sure. Yeah, and amazingly, you know, 25 years after being Dreamfinder mm-hmm. in the parks, you're still that source of inspiration and magic for people who maybe went when they were a kid and saw you and then are coming back with their kids or have told their kids the stories. And in some cases, who never went there and saw it, but just Dreamfinder and Figment uh, from that that era touch people in such an incredibly powerful way kind of bypasses a lot of the filters and the barriers that we put up. It's interesting you say that because I was thinking about this the other day Um, that, uh, and that's, this is not due to anything that I did. It's because of what Tony Baxter and Kirk Wise and the Imagineers created back when they originated Epcot center, the way the, the story that they told and the way they told it, touched people and you know such a way that it resonates this is the, the same thing that, that Walt Disney managed to do you know you think of the way that people think of the Disney organization today and the organization I, I, I give them about a 50% uh, success rate half the things they do are wonderful amazing home runs and 50% of them might not make it quite so, quite so big but we remain totally devoted to, to it why? Because of what that guy did in his lifetime, the things that Walt Disney did that inspired and keep coming back, you know, because to recycle all those films, to, to touch us. And, and it's loyalty that, that that creates and that resonates with all of us. And it's the same way with Dreamfinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 25th anniversary of Epcot Center, I went back to Epcot. And I was in my civvies. I was, you know, but it, <laughs> everywhere I went. I had these grown-up women going, it's him, it's the dream. And they're hugging me, and they're, and they're forcing their poor children to have their picture taken with me. No idea who I am or what it was about. And it wasn't, it wasn't because of what we did. It was because of what they did, what the Imagineers did with that attraction. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very leery of the people who say, bring back the journey into imagination, you know, rebuild it. Um, no, I think what we need to do instead is go back to the intention of the journey to imagination. That was great for 1982. It was perfect for 1982. It was a miracle. So when we take, apply that same storytelling expertise, that same care for people and the same philosophy, bring it into you know, the, the year 2012, 2013, 2014, and show us the next step. Be true to the intention and uh, as opposed to the, the a ghost of what happened 30 years ago, and then you're going to have something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, as we talked about, you've done a lot throughout the themed entertainment industry. I think when most people think of themed entertainment, they think of theme parks. Mm-hmm. You know, Disneyland, Disney World, Knott's Berry Farm, uh, Universal, whatever. But there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? It's an incredible art form, and it's something that I realized very young was uh, – I put it this way. I said it was the greatest art form mankind has devised because in themed entertainment, you have the potential to embrace all the other art forms. So you take an experience like the, uh, the French Pavilion at World Showcase 
You've got the architecture of France. You've got the fountains. You've got the music. You've got the live performance. You have the painting. You have the sense. You've got the wine. All of these come together to give you a feeling of being in this place at this particular time. And then you go in and there's the film and there's the, the symphonic music and all the technologies and it all blends together seamlessly to create within the guest this emotional, intellectual, physical, and spiritual feeling. And theme parks can do that. And themed entertainment can do that, not just theme parks, but anything that's themed in that way, which, which aims towards creating that feeling within the guests. So for a while, I was creating mystery parties in um, Los Angeles before I moved out here uh, to Florida. And we were creating Sherlock, original Sherlock Holmes mysteries. People would hire us for their, uh, for a special event or a party or a birthday or a, a corporate event. And we would create original Sherlock Holmes uh, mysteries in which they would interact with the characters and solve a Sherlock Holmes mystery in their environment. And there would be using costumes and actors and storytelling and music and props to create that feeling with the guest of being Sherlock Holmes. Uh, my favorite form is uh, theme restaurants. I love the theme restaurants because the theme dinner show, you've got the audience for two hours, they're sitting down, you're not in competition with Space Mountain, and um, you can feed them, you can theme the food, you can theme the food service, you can tell a story, you can cast the guests as characters in that story, you can tell jokes and like that, you don't have to turn them over in 20, 30 minutes like you do at Disney or the other theme parks. And you can tell a protracted story with a beginning, middle, and end, which you can't always do in the theme parks. Mm-hmm. I love that format also because I get to sleep in until all hours. And I get to do a couple <laughs> shows at night, and I'm back home in time to watch David Letterman. Um, but that, so I love that particular form. The, the, the perfect example of all is the blending of what I'm talking about is the Renaissance fairs. If you've ever been to a Renaissance fair, and if you haven't, folks, get out there. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the uncorporate side of themed entertainment. That's the one where the inmates are running the asylum. And uh, you've got this wonderful atmosphere where the characters are very body, very off the wall, and the guests can step into that to their, you know, they can rent a costume while you're there for God's sakes and, and, spend, uh, and spend a day living back in the 16th, uh, 15th, 16th century. Um, so this is an art form, and it's just now starting to be recognized as an art form. It was, it was kind of the, uh, uh, the red-haired child for a long time. And a lot of that is because it seems to have been discovered by Walt Disney. And so people kind of dismissed it as a childish thing. But what happened was the Imagineers that came up with Walt Disney and trained under Walt Disney, after a while, got laid off. Mm-hmm. And they started their own company. And they started to look within themselves and say, wait a minute, we can do so much more with this. And so now we've got Gary Goddard, we've got Landmark Entertainment, we've got all these different companies that are pushing the envelope. And these are all people who have studied with Disney and learned from Disney, but have taken this all to the next level. And so now we've got um, the Harry Potter experience, and we've got um, some of the experiences that are going up overseas. There's a fellow named David Younger who is the future of this industry. He's a kid. He's studying in England right now. He's going for his PhD in attraction design, and he's doing independent study, and he is taking everything to the next level. You'll find him online. He's got a couple of websites, and he's a, he's a good friend. Um, and he's an innocent. He's never worked in a theme park. He's a complete, <laughs> he's, a complete he's never had to deal with them warm bodies. And so he's in for a rude awakening, but at the same time, he's dealing with this thing purely from an artistic standpoint. And somebody's got to do that. Because, and, and, and I sometimes close my presentations with this. Until Michelangelo took sculpture seriously, no one did. And until da Vinci took painting seriously, no one did. And until Kubrick and George Lucas took science fiction seriously, no one did. And until Walt Disney took animation and amusement park seriously, no one did. And if we don't take theme parks seriously, no one will. And so there's a, there's a tremendous future, and it's just starting now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I look forward to seeing 
where it goes and what the current and future generations can build on and what new things they can create and develop that we can't even imagine right now. Just like in you know 1945, nobody would have pictured Disneyland mm-hmm. except Walt Disney. Well, now wait, wait a minute here. Well, okay, that's true. We've got Tivoli Gardens or Tivoli, however that's pronounced. The 1939, not very far. 39 World's Fair had virtually everything there was at Epcot Center. Okay. And Coney Island at the turn of the century, with the three parks that were built there: Steeplechase, mm-hmm. uh, Luna Park, and Dreamland. They were the like the evolution of theme parks. Um, Steeplechase was a steel park. It was all about the rides. There was no story being told. Then Luna Park came along. Luna Park, all the rides were telling stories. And then Dreamland, they all came together under one architectural uh, uh, imprint. And that right there, the three acts of creating a theme park. Um, The art form has always existed. Walt Disney brought brought movie uh, storytelling to it and brought an edge to it because of the people that he had, the animators, the people that he had creating the thing, brought a creative level of creativity to it that hadn't been seen before. And, of course, they coined the phrase. But, mm-hmm. but the, the art form, just like painting, always existed as long as people were painting on rocks. Um, the art form always existed as such. But um, it took the imagination of Walt Disney to, uh, to make it something, you know, put his stamp on it and popularize it. But like I say, it's taken off in a dozen different directions. I mean, Radiator Springs Racers is a wonderful next step. Uh, just about everything that they're touching these days. Uh, look at Indiana Jones is wonderful, and uh, Spider Man's an amazing attraction. They're all taking we're all taking these tiny steps forward. The thing is, they're all doing it through the technology. What my thing is, I want to see it done through the people. You know, we can put an actor in every position when we can put people who know to, how to engage the guests the way that I was doing and the way that some of the people, you know, you got Maynard over at uh, Disneyland. Sure. God bless him. I mean, the man's amazing. And when you, know, when you can put a Maynard in every position, think what the parks are going to be like. Um, this, that is a future that I'm, that I'm very interested in and uh, part of what I'm writing about is, is getting, getting the, the live performance aspect of it Disney's doing so much with the Living Character Initiative, but it's all being done through the technology. Mm-hmm. I went on um, Peter Pan flight at the Magic Kingdom recently, and the girl who was at the dispatch thing was pushing the button, was sending the, the ships off. She looked exactly like Tiger Lily. And man, my heart soared. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't Tiger Lily. She didn't. She wasn't trying to be Tiger Lily. Nobody put her in that position because she looked like Tiger Lily. But Darn it! She was Tiger Lily, and it was Tiger Lily who pushed that button and sent me to Neverland. And that's something that you can't mechanize, you know. You uh, and but it, but that takes empowering the employees, and that takes training and recognizing that these people have a creative potential, like Merida does, uh, have a creative potential to touch the guests in a way that we haven't explored yet. The closest we've come, again, the Renaissance fairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been to a few Renaissance fairs myself, actually. It's been a few years, and I need to get back to one because you're right. You Whether you intend to or not, you step into the story in a way that is unlike almost anywhere else. It's all because of the people. Exactly. There's nothing, there's nothing else going on. There's no technology to distract you. It's all because of the way you're treated by the people. And that's something that we have not begun to touch on in the, mm-hmm. in the big theme parks. Right. Now, you've had a lot of different roles in these different themed entertainment environments. You talked about them as we started this interview. And they've been so varied. I mean, everything from Dreamfinder to story writing and uh, you know, the rest themed restaurants that you were talking about and almost countless things in between. How have you been able to do all of those different facets of themed entertainment so successfully? I think it's because of my attitude towards the process. Um, since... It's always been about whatever's going to affect the guest in the desired way. That has always changed of necessity by the circumstances I find myself in. Um, 
with uh, when I was doing the medicine pitch at Magic Mountain, doing Professor Spillikin. I was at Magic Mountain, and uh, Magic Mountain's a very different atmosphere than this. Mm-hmm. Magic Mountain's a thrill park. And uh, I was working in an area that sold beer and wine. And uh, it was a little bit wilder atmosphere than Disneyland. So my Professor Spillikin character was very rough. He was more of a, a W.C. Field character. He, was, he could be pushy. He could be loud. He could be unpleasant. He could be rude to children. Um, and uh, it was all taken very, very good-naturedly. At the same time, I knew that character wouldn't go over Disneyland. I could not be Professor Spillikin. At Disneyland, when I got hired on to do the Golden Horseshoe Review, I was doing the same character, but he had a smile on his face, and he was nice to everybody, and he was just a lot goofier. And <laughs> then Dreamfinder was the next step from that, and suddenly, uh, with Dreamfinder, I had to be absolutely charming and magical and sweetness and light, and uh, that automatically brought out – I had a different stance, I had a different way of using my hands – because of the acting background, act, you know, doing wide variety of characters in, in theater also helped a great deal. Um, at the same time that I was uh, working at the Golden Horseshoe, I was managing a theme restaurant for Universal Studios where I played an absolute villain. I played, uh, his name was C.L. Wampopper. He was a used wagon salesman. And I was a creative manager for Wampopper's Wagon Works. Um, Wampopper was an absolute cad. He was terrible to people. And... Um, but at the same time, always with an eye towards what is the effect I want to have on the guest, and how is, that go- how is what I'm doing affecting them? Um, and so it became easy as long as I, you know, I was familiar with my theme and the underlying feeling of the theme I wanted to communicate. And then I would just simply use my own, you know, the actor's tools and my body and my voice to, and my imagination to um, create that impression in the guest. Um, one of the most interesting experiences I had was up in Canada uh, at the Banff Springs Resort, which was uh, – uh, I played uh, William Cornelius Van Horn. He's, the, like, he's like the Teddy Roosevelt of Canada. He built the Canadian Pacific Railroad. He built the Banff Springs Resort. Uh, he invented Canadian tourism, and he, he is this very manly, rough-hewn character. Everybody in, the, in Canada knew this guy. And I could walk into a room, I'd have a cigar in one hand and a very, very gruff demeanor, and I could treat people in a very domineering way, and they loved it because everybody studied this character in school. They knew who he was. The second I walked into a room, they knew who I was. We had a themed dinner show, and I was singing and dancing in this themed dinner show, but as Van Horn. Um, so it was, uh, it was an entirely different approach to uh, you know, performance. But at the same time, if you go uh, into YouTube and look up um, uh, Celebration of the Century on, in YouTube, you'll see a video of me as Van Horn. Very, very loud and gruff. Um, nothing like the Golden Horseshoe. So the acting background held me in good stead because I approached that first. That was my first interest. And I've acted off and on, done a lot of stage uh, work. Uh, between all the different theme park gigs, worked with the Orlando Shakespeare Festival and Mad Cow Theater and different groups. And um, so it's that acting background that helped me uh, bring these different characters to life and achieve these different goals. But it's all backed up with the idea that, you know, all these different atmospheres, you're creating different feelings. And so you have to change your approach completely to uh, suit the character and the theme. So at no point are you necessarily married to or devoted to this is the kind of character I want to play or this is the way that I think this role should be done or whatever it is like you were saying when we were talking about meeting characters and experiencing the parks it's discovering the feeling and the the experience that you want the guest or the other person to have and then using whatever tools doing whatever it is you have to do to create that in them, whether it's what you necessarily expected or not, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all about the guest experience. And so you can write and, uh, you, you, like the man said, you can dream, create, and build the most wonderful place in the world. But it takes people to make the dream a reality. Well, Walt may have been talking about the cast members, but actually it's just as true as of the guests. It isn't until the guests walk through the door and show you wh- what their reaction is that you know what you have. Um, the experience of opening the uh, Monsters Incorporated Laugh Floor, uh, we spent five months putting that show together 
in a vacuum. We were all by ourselves. We had all these people from Pixar and Imagineering and Disney Creative Entertainment, and we had all this comic talent and everything like that. It wasn't until the guests walked through the door that we knew what we had. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until um, the, the, you know, all the directors left that the cast could finally say, okay, let's see what this does and what works and what doesn't work. And that's true of everything that I've done. You know, you can plan, you can plan and write and plan and write and anticipate, but um, the guests tell you what you have and what works and doesn't work. The, the, the greatest sin that's created right now and the cause of so much of the bad entertainment that's out there is when somebody who wears a necktie for a living says, uh, they'll like this. I think that they'll like this. I think this is what they want. And, um, and that's the stuff that we produce, and it goes out there, and it flops, but the executive liked it. And so it runs forever. I think, uh, you know, you see, you see a lot of bad entertainment out there, folks. And um, a lot of it is stuff that somebody thought would be cute. Uh, but the right. guests get there, and uh, so we get a lot of puns. We get a lot of jokes that aren't funny. We get a lot of shows that... Uh, we sit there on our heels watching them and going, I don't know why this is supposed to be entertaining, except that somebody thought it would be entertaining. It's created in a vacuum and things don't live in a vacuum. Exactly. They live inside the guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Now, of course, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on was to hear the stories, but also to have you uh, share with us a little bit about the book that you have that – at the time this goes out, will have just recently been released Yay. from Dreamer to Finder. <laughs> I know that's been a labor of love and in some cases probably just a labor. Yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to get a hold of a copy of this book myself. But in the meantime, can you tell us about the book? Uh, well, okay. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, starting this whole thing, this whole study that I've done uh, for so many years – um, it kind of kicked off with something that I read back in the 70s. Uh, Van France and Dick Nunes, who were uh, in charge of the University of Disneyland, uh, back in the 70s wrote uh, in, in, in one of their uh, wonderful training manuals that nobody ever trains their children to work in a theme park and no college courses uh, exist on the subject. Well, they do now. But I always wanted to gather this body of knowledge and that's why I went through the experiences. Everything I did was, in, in essence, trying to get the experience and the body of knowledge to find out how this stuff works and how to do this well. And uh, finally, it got to a point where um, around the time of the 25th anniversary of Epcot, I was doing a presentation about my work as DreamFinder and Jim Hill, our patron saint, um, was at the presentation. And he came up to me afterwards and said, that's a book. And I realized it was time to write the book. I always knew that that was going to happen eventually, but I'm very lazy and I'm a terrible procrastinator. And so it was a couple of years before I actually did get started on it. So the book exists. Um, it's a memoir, but it's a memoir with a purpose. And I wanted to tell the story of my 40-year arc in themed entertainment why I got started, how I got started, and all the good, bad, and indifferent experiences, and the lessons that I learned at each point. So the so 80% of the book is that memoir, and then the last 20% is the textbook with um, details on writing and performing and directing and creating uh, themed entertainment, live themed entertainment. And... Uh, it's turned out pretty well. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it, actually. Uh, we're just getting the proof now, and uh, we'll be going to press next week. And I uh, hope to have uh, copies in hand in about eight days as we're recording this. Um, but it's called From Dreamer to Dreamfinder, uh, Life and Lessons Learned in 40 Years Behind a Name Tag. And uh, it's turned out pretty well. Like I say, it's, it's a no-holds-barred thing. There's... Uh, there's a couple of smoldering bridges in there, and there's a couple of people whose uh, right names are not given. But uh, I, I give a wide breadth of experience in all sorts of different aspects. I go into a lot of detail about the creation of DreamFinder and a lot of detail about uh, my early days and what I learned at the different places. Um, 
there's one chapter uh, about uh, two themed dinner shows that I didn't get to work on, but learned a great deal about don't let this happen to you. It's it's just uh, it's, it's a life's work there, and uh, I wanted to pass this stuff on, and uh, so I'm very happy with the way it's turned out. People who are interested uh, can find out information about it at bamboofortpublishing.com. These are the same people uh, who brought you Dark Side of Disney. Um, the wonderful man Leonard Kinsley, who has helped me publish it, and uh, the book has that has that edge to it that you would expect it to come from uh, Leonard's company, but it's not uh, it's not the dark side of Disney. We deal with a lot of pixie dust and a lot of glorious and happy stories as well, and uh, it's very emotional. Um, the way I wrote it was actually I had a blog, and this blog is still up, the, the dreamfinder.wordpress.com is still up, and there's some of the early chapters, because uh, I, I wrote it there, uh, but then I went through and rewrote and added a lot of emotion, a lot of personal experiences. In fact, I just posted a sample of the book. I did, uh, I've got the table of contents there, so you can see the breadth of what we've got, and I posted the introduction to the book which is uh, me recounting uh, the events leading up to my appearance last year at the D23 event as Dreamfinder. And so I thought that would be a nice little thing. So I got a couple pictures up there like that. You'll be able to read about the creation of the book on my blog. Wonderful. Thank you. And yeah, just yesterday I did read that post that you're describing. It includes the introduction to the book. And I just about had to go get the the tissues two or three times. Uh, Um, The emotion really is there. And especially, I think my favorite part was when you talked about Figment being there again and just describing that little interaction with him. And I could see it and I could feel it and it was incredible. Thank you very much. Yeah. Now, I know that you've done a lot of interviews over the years. And so you've probably got just about every question that you can imagine. But um, is there any question that you never get asked that you wish people would ask you? Ooh, wow. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I know. And I'll tell you why, because just as I have in what we've done so far, um, I always wind up talking about the 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 aspects of it that fascinate me. Uh, you know, you'll ask me about a particular thing, and that'll take me off into a lecture about a whole different, as, you know, abstract aspect of what I do and my philosophy about theme parks and stuff like that. Because I'm big about talking about that stuff. Um, so no, I don't. I can't think of anything. If you think of something, call me back and let's plug it in. Uh, I will. <laughs> because um, <laughs> no, no I, 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 there's nothing that. I know I've been asked just about everything that uh, I care to cover, uh, <laughs> but surprise, folks, and send them a picture. You know, the, you you talk about doing follow-up stuff at the end of your first show. I saw that, and so mm-hmm. folks, send in your questions. I'll be happy to answer any follow-up questions that you've got. Yeah, absolutely. Send in the questions. We'll do a follow-up interview and take care of whatever listener questions we can. Love it. That'd be great. Uh, and thank you for making the offer to do that too. Uh, so let me ask you just a couple of questions to, as we kind of finish up here. And they're ones that uh, you would be at least somewhat familiar with from the previous shows I've, I've done. Um, first of all, what inspires you? Ah, what inspires me? Things that have never been done before, especially if somebody tells me they can't be done you know, people saying Michael Keaton will never be able to play Batman. I found that very inspiring. I get I get my back up. I go, yeah, he's an actor. Give him a chance. People who uh, what, what turns me off the flip side of that is people who judge a book by its cover, and um, and don't give things a chance. Uh, but I'm ins- I'm inspired by people who come to me and say I had this creative problem, and um, how can we solve it? And I say I don't know. But I know what questions to ask, and let's make that trip. Uh, and I was working for Universal Studios. I used to get um, letters from Jay Stein, who was the president of Universal. And he would he did he'd do treatments for things that he had ideas he had. He would send me a treatment, be about a page and a half, always be a page and a half, and the concept would be good, but he wouldn't know where to take it. And so at the middle of the second page, in parentheses, it would just say, "Need creative." 
<laughs> you know, he'd walk, he'd paint himself into a corner, not know where to go with it, and he'd come back with neat creative. That inspires me. Okay, that's good. That's good. It's funny how, as you describe that process, and especially someone coming to you and saying, I have this creative problem, I don't know how to solve it. What do I do? And you say, I don't know, but I know what questions to ask. That so sounds to me like something Dreamfinder might say. You know, <laughs> we have the tools of imagination out there, and and so we've got the little sparks that we can uh, collect and store and then recombine. And that's kind of that same process. We've got this problem. Let's ask the questions that allow us to collect the pieces and then put them together in an order that hasn't been done before to solve this problem. Very well put. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> now, also, I'm sure there are people listening to this who have their own dreams. Maybe it's to work for Disney or some other themed entertainment uh, company or environment. Maybe it's something else. You know, Maybe it's just, like you were saying, something that's never been done before, and they want to be the first to do this. What would you tell them? What do you want that person to know? Follow your bliss. It's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. Is, is, is pick your direction and start walking and don't let anybody dissuade you. Um, I mean, when you think about the odds against my working at the Golden Horseshoe, say I wanted to be a, a soap opera actor. There are hundreds of soap opera actors in the world. How many Wally Bogue understudies are there? That's one show in one theme park, and there are maybe a handful of people who've done it. But I knew that's what I wanted to do. I spent 10 years walking in that direction, reading. If I saw something about traveling salesmen, boom, I was on it. If Wally did animal balloons, I learned how to do animal balloons. I saw that by the time, um, and if you're walking, working for Disney, this is important. By the time I applied at Disney, I was ready to plug into that show. Disney is always looking for people who can already do what they want to hire you for. Don't well expect to go to Disney and have and say to them, yeah, can you train me for this? No, they're looking for somebody who can already do it. And I was, and I had made that the right choices in that previous 10 years. Follow Your Bliss is a wonderful book about acting by Robert Cohen. Um, and the whole first chapter of the book is, uh, is this about acting as a career? And the whole first chapter of the book is don't do it. Don't be an actor. The odds are against you. You'll never make a living. You're going to be poor. You're going to be broke. Don't do it. Don't do it. The beginning of chapter two says, congratulations. If you're still reading, you now have a one in a million chance. But you got, <laughs> but you got that chance. Mm-hmm. Because you because you walk past, you read past all of the stuff that tells you you can't do it. Um, you've got to follow your bliss, stick with what you want to do, and follow and, and, uh, and take all the tributaries, all the side paths that you'll get that body of knowledge. People want to be screenwriters. People want to write movies. We meet them all the time, people who've got to write a film, but don't want to read a book about how to write a film. Because if I read that book, uh, it, it'll, it'll weaken what I have in mind. You know, you've got to learn the stuff. You've got to learn the principles. If you want to be an actor, you've got to go to college and get the fundamentals you want to be a musician, you got to go to school and learn the fundamentals. You can't just, you know, I, I got a grandson who swears he's going to be a musician. Why? Because he can play that guitar, that video guitar game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't even try to explain to him that that's not music. Right. As far as he's concerned, he's making music. Um, we, when it came time to be Dreamfinder, I had already had the puppeteering experience. I had the character experience. I had done all these things, and these are all things that I loved. This wasn't work to me. I was a lousy student. I was a terrible student, but except the drama, which I loved. And so I always get A's in drama because I loved it and was willing to do the work. So follow your bliss, folks. Do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life because it won't be work. So there you awesome. go. Great advice. Great advice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, shameless plug time. Is there anything else you'd like to mention or promote? We talked about your book. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. Talked about your blog. Right. I'm going to link to that too. Wonderful. Um, no, I've got the next couple of weeks. You'll be hearing a lot of uh, stuff about uh, me or from me. 
book reviews are coming out. I'm scared to death. I really am scared to death of the book reviews coming out because there's a lot of opinions in the book as long as well, a lot of history. So I'm making a little confession here. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about what, what this is going to be like. But I, I hope people will react. I, I know people will react well to, this, to the character stories and the stuff about the history. Um, but no, that pretty much is it. Um, you find me on Facebook, folks, and... Uh, and be in touch. Uh, send send your questions to Randy, and um, you know let's let's all talk. And uh, and and thank you to all the people out there that um, that have been so good to me and and the memory of Dreamfinder and Figment. Um, it means the world to know that we've touched as many people as we have, and you guys have touched us too. I can think of no better way to wrap this up than with that. So that's where we'll leave it. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your Anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by JewelBeat.com And now it's time for listener feedback on Stories of the Magic. This isn't listener feedback, but it is a story I want to share with you. Last Saturday, that would have been um, August 11th, my wife and I were at Disneyland for the day and decided to have lunch in the Big Thunder Ranch Jamboree area. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with exactly where this is, and even if you've been to Disneyland a few times, you may not be, because it is kind of tucked away, it's along the path between Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and Fantasyland. There's a petting zoo, and there's a restaurant with uh, some of the best barbecue on property. In fact, maybe some of the best barbecue you've ever had, served family style. And then there's this festival arena. It used to be used for the Hunchback of Notre Dame's Festival of Fools show, and it gets used for other things periodically. Right now they're using it for the musical groups that come in that can't use what was the Carnation Gardens area. They've also moved Billy Hill and the Hillbillies out there for now. And they have some characters that are out there. The first time we went, a few weeks before this, we saw uh, Mickey and Goofy and Chip and Dale and three of the country bears all back in that area. Got to get some pictures, autographs, play with them a little bit. But the thing about this area is it's relatively unpopular right now. I don't know why, but there's very rarely very many people back there. They get a decent crowd for Billy Hill and the Hillbillies, but then when their show's over, everybody leaves. So we showed up shortly before one of those shows with our lunch that we were going to eat, and Wendell from the Country Bears was sitting over in the coloring area. It was there for a good five minutes after we got there. Looked like he was probably coloring a picture with the two or three kids that were there. And then he finished up, went backstage, 
Billy Hill and the Hillbillies did their show. And then when it was over, pretty much everybody left. And right after everybody left, Mickey and Chip and Dale and Big Al from the Country Bears all came out from the back. Of course, they had the character attendants, and they had a photo pass person or two and a couple other cast members. And there was my wife and myself, maybe three or four other guests that were in that area. In fact, it was slow enough and uncrowded enough that Mickey actually came over to us rather than us going to him. And so we talked to him for a couple of minutes. Then he went and sat down over by the coloring area because there wasn't really anybody else for him to interact with or take photos with or anything. And I don't know where Chip went. I didn't see him anywhere exactly. But Dale and Big Al were both also over in the coloring area. I watched him for a minute or two, and then I couldn't take it anymore. I decided I had to go over and color a picture. So I went over. By the time I got there, Big Al was just about to leave after causing trouble by flipping over the box of crayons and then blaming it on Dale. I sit down. Dale hands me a picture, points to the box of crayons. So I start coloring a picture. Meanwhile, he's drawing a picture on the back of his paper. You can see it's a Christmas tree. Um, I can see the acorns that he's got for decorations. Every now and then as he's drawing his picture, I'll stop and look at it and comment about it being still outside. It's not in a house because I could tell from the way he had drawn the grass around it and there was a stream. And he's really putting a fair amount of work into this. Now, shortly before I went over there, I did see a group of about four or five guests come in. They went straight over to Mickey, who's completely by himself with this picture and crayons and everything. I can't hear anything that's going on, but I do see Mickey stand up, get a picture with a couple of them, then get another picture with the others, and they left. They had a chance to spend time coloring with Mickey, playing, doing whatever, the kinds of things that Ron was describing in the uh, early part of this episode's interview. They had a chance to do that, and they missed it. They weren't ready for it. They just wanted to get the picture. So I wasn't going to miss that. That was why I went over there. I'm sitting there for a good probably 10 minutes, coloring this picture, looking at what Dale's doing, talking to him about it, Big Al keeps flipping over the box of crayons and then walking away. Finally, uh, Dale and I kind of teamed up on him and proved that it was him doing it. And so then he acted all embarrassed. At another time, uh, he decided that he was going to sit down in one of the ECVs, the electric wheelchairs. Whoever was using it wasn't in it at the time. So he goes over and he sits down in that for a little while, just being Big Al. Dale was there coloring a picture, being Dale. It was great. You know, a, a girl, I'd say she's probably early 20s, sat down next to Dale towards the end of the time that he was out. And when he noticed her, he turned and he gave her a kiss on the cheek. And then the photo pass photographer that was there asked if Gadget knew about this. And of course, Dale started to look a little concerned. And then I asked if uh, Clarice knew about this. Of course, Clarice is from the early Chip and Dale cartoons. She's in a couple of them. And then we started talking about whether Gadget and Clarice knew about each other, and Dale started to sort of panic a little bit, and, you know, we, we can't let this get out. And, you know, it was kind of funny. He was very in character and very engaged. Uh, and, you know, getting to spend all of that time there, you can't beat that. If you're a character meeting person at all, or you like the characters even, this is the kind of experience that you don't want to miss. And yet there was thousands of people who were missing it. So when his time was up, the character attendant let him know that he had just a few minutes, so he should probably start getting ready to to go backstage. So he finishes up his picture, autographs it, turns it around and hands it to me. I've linked to a picture of it in the show notes, but most people who get an autograph maybe have it in their autograph book, or if they bring something else for a character to sign, they might have it in that. I don't think there's very many people who have a picture that Dale drew and then autographed and gave to them, but I can claim that 
as something that I have. So I thought that was pretty special. It was a lot of fun. And it's the kind of experience that you don't get very often. So I got to say, if there's any time that you're at a Disney park or on a Disney cruise ship where they also have several characters and you have the opportunity to do something more than just go up and pose for the picture, do it. I don't care how young or old you are, play with them. Take advantage of that opportunity and play. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on Earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures, and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort, or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www.talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a Mickey, Mickey day. day. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Ron Schneider for being my guest on this episode. And to you for listening. Now before I give the usual pitch asking for listener feedback, it's announcement time. Stories of the Magic is having a contest. Ron Schneider and his publisher, Leonard Kinsley, have graciously donated an autographed copy of Ron's new book, From Dreamer to Dreamfinder, A Life and Lessons Learned in 40 Years Behind a Name Tag. We're going to make you work a bit for this one, though. Here's the deal. I want your stories either as someone who works for or has worked for the Walt Disney Company, or as a guest of Disney in any way, theme parks, cruise lines, adventures by Disney, movie viewer, whatever. I'm always looking for those stories, but we're making a special push for them, starting right now. This episode is being released on August 17th. Between now and Wednesday, August 29th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Time, we want to hear from you. We're looking for stories and questions, so send any of these three types of feedback. 1. Call or email in your positive stories, or leave them on the show notes. We're looking for actual stories of something that happened to you, or something you saw happen to another guest that made the magic. It doesn't have to be big or elaborate, even a small moment, but we're looking for those stories. 2. You can also submit a thank you to the Imagineers who designed a park or attraction, a filmmaker, animator, or actor, including voice actors, who've done something that made an impact on you. Tell us what they did, why it matters to you, and thank them. You don't have to know their name to tell us what they did. 3. As you heard towards the end of the interview, Ron has invited your questions, so send those in, too. If we get enough questions, we'll do a follow-up show where he'll answer them. I'll take all the feedback we receive between now and Wednesday, August 29th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Time in any of those three categories and randomly select a winner. That person will receive an autographed copy of Ron's new book. Oh, and if you have multiple stories, you can have multiple chances to win. Every story gets you an entry into the contest, up to a maximum of five per person. You can still submit feedback anonymously if you want to, but if you want to be entered into the contest, please do give me your name so that I can contact you if you win. I won't release it when I share the story, but I need to know. I'll announce the winner, first name and last initial only, on the August 31st episode of the podcast and on the Stories of the Magic Facebook page later that same day. Now that is pretty cool. And a special thank you to Ron Schneider and his publisher for their generosity. So with that, if you've worked for the Walt Disney Company and you'd like to share a positive story, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime, 24 hours a day. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know. 
contacting me to possibly be a guest on the show does count as an entry into the contest, as long as you also tell me a story. Now, if you're a guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or had any special Disney experience you want to share, I'd love to hear from you, too. Do you remember Dreamfinder? Tell me about it. Do you have a favorite interaction with or memory of meeting a character? Let's hear about it. Have you eaten at one of the Disney restaurants and had a great server? Call in or send me an email and tell me about your experience. Please subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes or on the website, and soon through Stitcher Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes. Those ratings really help make the podcast more visible there, so it's easier for people to find. And I'd love for more listeners to get to hear from these wonderful people. Leaving a rating and review will only take a couple of minutes, and I would be very grateful to you. Oh, and thank you to those who have already been spreading the word. If you have any comments, questions, or other feedback, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the links in the show notes to buy Ron's book, From Dreamer to Dreamfinder, unless, of course, you win it, as well as other useful links from each episode. Finally, please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Tweet out that you're listening and tell your friends about the show. Let others know that you're listening so they can join in the fun. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. But this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.